Hey, Friendship family, welcome to Friendship Online. We're all gathering together as the church online. Maybe it's Sunday morning for you, or maybe it's Sunday evening, or sometime during the week. I'm just glad that you have gathered with us today. We'll be back in person next Sunday, uh, so make sure you join us there or back here online again. You know, it is the Sunday after Easter, which is always an interesting time. A lot of folks come to church, you know, everybody and their brother comes on Easter Sunday. And then, you know, it's like, well, I checked that box and so now I can go back to not doing church or I'll come back at some point uh, in time. And it's just kind of, it's, sometimes there's this like Easter letdown uh, because man, the, there's nothing bigger than the resurrection, right? It's, 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 Easter in the church world, it's kind of like Super Bowl Sunday, but in, in our spiritual lives, like there's nothing bigger than the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. And so how do you follow up this incredible day, this incredible event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? And so what we're going to do, we're going to wrap up this Easter series today. I want us to check out what happened immediately following the resurrection, like what took place in those hours and days following the resurrection. And so this week, week three, the final week of this Easter 2021 series, we're calling the Empowering King. The Empowering King. Week one was the coming King. Last week was the resurrected King. Today we're talking about the Empowering King. Because, you know, if nothing happened post-resurrection, after Jesus rose from the dead, if nothing happened, then we wouldn't even be here today. There would be no Friendship Baptist Church. There would be no church in general. There would be no global uh, gospel witness. Like the, the news of the resurrection, what just happened, what we just celebrated last week, the news of that event, that historical, miraculous event, the news of that event had to be spread. The good news of resurrection had to be passed on. It had to go from person to person, from nation to nation, from generation to generation. And because it was, we're able to worship today. We're able to do something as crazy as, you know, in 2021, worship online together. It's because the, the news of the resurrection had to be passed on. The resurrection is most powerful when it's passed on. That's, that's, the, that's the truth today. The, the resurrection is most powerful when it's passed on. It had to be passed on the news of Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection. So what I want to do today is, is I want us to turn to John chapter 20. Bam, I turn to John chapter 19. I'm right there, one page away. John chapter 20. We're going to kind of look at chapter 20, 21, a little bit of Acts chapter 2. Um, we want to just consider what what in the world was going on after the resurrection of Jesus? And, and how did that lead to where we're at today? You know, before we jump into John chapter 20, let me reference Matthew 28. Uh, if that rings a bell, it's because we talk about Matthew 28 a lot. It was uh, Jesus when he was giving his last marching orders to the disciples. And he gave the disciples and the church our commission, our marching orders. We call it the Great Commission. It's where Jesus said, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. 
It's this incredible commission to go and make disciples of all nations. But what I want to point out is that Matthew chapter 28, it begins with the resurrection. Jesus rising from the dead. And then that chapter ends with Jesus giving his disciples these orders to go take the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel, the good news. Take that to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all the nations. And so there's, there's, there's a reason, you know, we're, we're talking about this today. Because the resurrection led to, or it was the, it was, it was the birth of the church. It was where the church is, is then sent out on mission to take the good news that Jesus lived the perfect life, died the death that we deserve, the sacrificial death. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and he rose again in victory over death and sin. And now we can experience life. And so take this good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so on the evening of Easter, I mean, literally the very same day, and I don't know if I've ever, I'm sure I have, but like it, it's one of those details that kind of, uh, you know, I, I lose and I, and I forget about this. The fact that on the evening of Easter, so Easter morning, Jesus has resurrected from the, the dead, but by the end of that day in the evening, what Jesus does is he, he commissions and he sends his disciples. He sends them out in the power of the Spirit to go make disciples. And I'm not talking about the Great Commission necessarily, but, but we'll see it here in, in John chapter 20. And, and, and let, me, let me share, there's just really three big things that I want to share with us this morning. Uh, number one is this, that Jesus wants to send you out. He wants to send you out. This is what he did with his disciples immediately after his resurrection. John chapter 20, let's look at verses 19 through 23. It says, on the evening of that day, so this is Resurrection Sunday, this is Easter Sunday, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, all right, and so just so we make sure we understand what day it is, John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. All right, so same day as Easter Sunday. Chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, same day, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And said to them, okay, so his disciples are locked in this room. They're afraid of the persecution or whatever's going to come because the Jews, they, they, they thought the disciples took the body of Jesus and they're going to blame him for his missing body. And so they're locked, you know, in their quarters. They're afraid of the Jews coming and, and uh, you know, uh, taking hold of them. And so they're, they're locked away. And then Jesus comes and somehow the doors are locked. But here, here appears Jesus. And he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So already Jesus has miraculously resurrected from the dead, but here's Jesus with more magic tricks, right? He like shows up in their locked room. They're like, they've got to be spooked out. Jesus is powerful, right? So he shows up and he says, Peace be with you, because he knows that they're not going to be, they're not. They're not feeling very peaceful in this moment. And he says, peace 
be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So this identifies, they know, they know exactly who this is. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This, this is a big deal here. This is Jesus commissioning them. This is Jesus giving them their mission. Even as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, he, he, he empowers them. And this is, this is just an interesting kind of situation here because we'll see later that the Holy Spirit comes at, at Pentecost, not long after this, where every follower of Jesus receives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But this is Jesus like commissioning them and empowering them and giving, him, giving them the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is always the case that Jesus, he, he, he sends us, but he never sends us with it, without empowering us. He, he empowers us by his spirit. And Jesus is able to send us out to make disciples. And he's able, he, he's able to send us out to live for him and to live on mission because of his spirit is, is upon us and with us and in us. This is why Jesus in that great commission, when he said, go make disciples of all nations, he, he, he ends that by saying, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We call it the great commission because it was a co, it is, it is a co-mission. It is a mission that we do with, with him, alongside of him and his empowering presence along with us. It is a co mission. Jesus wants to send us out. He did it with his disciples. And the cool thing is with his disciples, he's like, man, you've got a story to tell. You've got, you've got something miraculous. You've got some good news to share with the world. Because not only have I spent these three years with you, teaching you and training you and all this, but I died for your sin. And not only that, but you know what? Earlier today, I rose from the grave. I took the sting away from death. I conquered sin and hell and the grave. I resurrected y'all. Now, you got some good news to go tell. You got a story to share. And if God has changed your life, man, you've got a story to tell. You got a story to tell. It's the gospel story, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but it's your gospel story. God raising you from death to life. What is your story? You've got a story to tell. And God wants to send you out on mission, just like he did to the disciples. He commissioned them. He said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. God says the same thing to you and I, to you and me. He says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. You've got a story to tell. I've given you a story, not just my truth and my story, but I'm give, I've given you a story to tell, your own story, my work in your life. Now, go, get moving. And oh, by the way, here's my spirit. That's gonna empower you every step of the way. 
Jesus wants to send you out. Jesus wants to send you out. Not only that, but Jesus wants your heart. Jesus wants your heart. In, in John chapter 21, we won't read it all. I'm just going to read a few verses out of it. But we see this incredible story in John chapter 21 of Jesus restoring the disciple Peter. If you remember Peter, you know, he was, he was one of the disciples that he was just, he was always out front. He was loud-mouthed and brash and bold and, uh, you know, always putting his foot in his mouth. And, and, you know, Peter declared so boldly and, you know, confidently, like, Lord, I'll never leave you. They can, they'll do whatever they want to me. They can kill me if they want to, but I'll never deny you. And Jesus was like, whoa, 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 not so fast, Peter. Take it easy there, pal. Because you're going to you're gonna deny me three times. And Peter was like, whatever. But then he went out to deny Jesus three times. And man was ashamed, discouraged. Um, man, you, you can imagine when he, when he saw Jesus go to the cross and he just thought, man, I failed him. Man, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. And in John chapter 21, Jesus, he appears again to the disciples as, as they're fishing. He, you know, reveals himself by the Sea of Tiberias in John chapter 21. And, you know, he calls out to them while they're, they're fishing. And, you know, they're, they're not able to, to catch any fish. And they're, they're frustrated. And he says, hey, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you're going to find some. And so they, they do it. And, you know, at that moment, man, they, they, they have so many fish to fill their, their, their net. In fact, it says that there was 153 to be exact. And, you know, they couldn't, they didn't, they weren't even able to haul it in. There were so many fish. And Jesus did this again, another miraculous thing that Jesus does. And immediately Peter recognized, man, it's the Lord. It's him. And so, you know, Jesus, they, they, you know, they get the, the, the fish to land and Jesus is, is cooking up breakfast by a fire on the, sh- on the seashore. And uh, he calls the Jesus, uh, he calls the disciples to them. And, you know, he makes them breakfast. And uh, you, you look at verse number 15, John 21, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What you see in, in this passage, you know, Peter is grieved because Jesus keeps like asking him. And I, in this moment, I kind of feel like, a, a, you know, a parent, a dad, my daughter, sometimes it's like, no matter what I say, she's like, what? What did you say? What did you say? It's either selective hearing or it's just like, got to get this girl's ears checked. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, over and over, <laughs> Jesus is saying the same, asking the same question. And Peter is like, yes, I love you. Why do we keep repeating this, Jesus? You know I love you. 
And you know, you've, you've probably heard it said before, but you know, this is, this is Jesus in this moment, giving Peter this opportunity. You know, Peter denied him three times, and here is Jesus three times asking him, hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He's, he's going after Peter. He's giving him a chance to be restored. I know you, you blew it. I, I know you're, you're ashamed that you blew it three times. You denied me, but let me give you three times to confess your heart for me. And Jesus was going after his heart. And here's what's even, even the cool part of this, because usually when I think of this conversation, I think of it being this personal you know, dialogue between Jesus and, and Peter. Uh, but, but it wasn't, because Jesus called the disciples to the shore, and Jesus was fixing breakfast for all the fellas. And here's this conversation. It's between Jesus and Peter, but it's a public conversation. And so he's, he's not giving Peter this private opportunity to be restored. No, 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 no. He's asking him three times publicly so that publicly, just as he denied Jesus publicly, he can confess his heart for him. Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And I love the tenderness of, of Jesus that he restores us. Jesus, he wants to send you out, but he, he wants your heart more than anything. And I, I love this scene that we see after Jesus, you know, he, he says, as, I, as the Father sent me out, I'm sending you out. But then the next scene, he, go, he comes back to the disciples in another instance, and he's, he's coming after him again, and he's coming after the heart of Peter. Don't miss this, that Jesus doesn't just want something from us. He doesn't just want us to accomplish this mission. No, Jesus wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. And so what you see with, with Peter is, you know, Jesus doesn't ask him, he doesn't say, hey, Peter, do you promise not to fail me again? Do you promise not to fail me again? Do you promise not to blow it again? No, he asks him three times, do you love me? Why? It's because he wanted Peter's heart. Sure, he wanted obedience. That's why he would follow that up with, hey, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, take care of my sheep. Uh, you know, and, and part of this is he's, he's pointing forward and this, he's, he's kind of, you know, he, he's, he's, he's giving him a vision for who he's going to be. He's going to be someone who shepherds and feeds the flock, the sheep, God's people. And he's going to do that in a short time. But of course, so he wants obedience. But obedience always flows out of a heart that's been captured by Christ. When Christ wins our heart, when Christ wins our affections, man, he'll get our obedience, but he wants our heart. He wants our heart first and foremost. So Jesus wants to send you out. Jesus wants your heart. Number three, Jesus wants to use you. 
man, Jesus just wants to use you. And I want to fast forward to Acts chapter 2. If you're, if you're in your Bible, just flip a couple chapters over. What we see in Acts chapter 1 is that Jesus says, uh, to his, he instructs his disciples, he, he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, in other words, gives them this commission again. He says, wait here until the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you. And then once you receive the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, then I want you to be witnesses here and everywhere to the ends of the earth. I'm going to use you to be my witnesses. So Jesus promises his empowering spirit to use them. But then what you see in, in, in Acts chapter 2, we, we know this event as the day of Pentecost. The, the Holy Spirit descends. Man, this, this incredible outpouring of the Spirit on, on the people of God. And they begin speaking in these other, un, these other languages, and yet they understand one another. And it's this amazing scene. But what happens following this up is that Peter preaches a sermon. All right, so after the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the first major event in church history is Peter preaching a sermon. And it is an amazing sermon. I mean, for, for sermon number one, I mean, if you go back to like my first sermon or most preachers' sermons, man, sermon number one is the one that you want to file away and like, you know, file 13. Is that what it's called? You know, yeah, like you just want to get rid of that thing because the first sermon is awful. It's horrific. It's bad. My first sermon was in a, uh, uh, it was in a nursing home and it lasted about five minutes. And uh, I, I don't know if anybody heard a word I said. It was awful. It was bad. I mean, there was residents that were, you know, uh, having accidents all over the place. It was that bad. It, it wasn't the preaching that probably caused them to do that. But in my mind, I'm, I'm like, this is, this is bad stuff here. But, but man, Peter knocked it out of the park. So much so that at the end of it, man, the people are convicted. They're cut to the heart. And we see 3,000 conversions. Like his very first sermon, 3,000 people come to Christ. And this is the beginning of the church that explodes. And so you're like, man, Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, whatever. Peter is the dog. Man, he preaches this amazing sermon in Acts chapter 2. And God uses his preaching to launch the church. Acts chapter 2, if you look in verse number 14, the, the people are questioning all this that's going on, it says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And he said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And then, man, he busts out this amazing sermon. Man, Peter becomes the leader of this ragtag group of disciples, this group of apostles, sent ones who were going to who are going to establish the church and proclaim the gospel throughout the known world. And God uses Peter in this amazing way. If you look down in, in, in verse number 32, I'm just going to give you a snippet of this amazing sermon he, as he's coming to a close here. He says, This Jesus God raised up, 
And of that, we all are witnesses. He's talking about the resurrection that they just witnessed days before. Uh, Verse number 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Man, what an amazing, amazing sermon. You only caught like the tail end and the invitation, like the people are cut to the heart and they confess faith in Christ. And and, and so, so I just want you to think about the story of Peter that Peter denied Jesus three times, humiliated, ashamed of his failure, of his blown opportunity to stand up and be used of the Lord. And yet God restores him. God restores him, gives an opportunity. He goes after his heart and then God uses him. God uses that declaration, yes, I love you, yes, I love you, yes, I love you, to then launch him into this, this season when he would use him and extraordinary ways that it started with with Jesus filling Peter's nets with 153 fish and then Jesus later filled Peter with his spirit the Holy Spirit and then God would fill his church with 3,000 plus souls because of Peter and his preaching Listen now, God wants to fill you and then fill his church through you. God's intention for Peter is no different than his intention for me or for you. God wants to fill us with his spirit and then God wants to use us to fill his church, to fill his kingdom with new disciples, new worshipers, those who would follow Christ and give their lives to him. God wants to fill you and God wants to fill his church through you. He wants to use you. So don't miss the order of this. This is so important. We can't get this out of order that Jesus wants to send you out. I mean, think about this. Think about this statement, this thought for a moment. God has designed you on purpose for a purpose. He has designed you on purpose for a purpose. Now, your life circumstances, what you do with your life, your vocation, your family, your friendships, all those things are going are, are, are gonna to be unique to you and who you are and how God has, has put you together and the experiences that you're going to have. But God's purpose for you is always going to revolve around sending you out. God wants to send you wherever you go. 
He's designed you on purpose with all the gifts, the personality, all the experiences, the skills, all the things. He's designed you on purpose for a purpose. It always revolves around sending you out. Even as the Father sent Jesus into the world to get the good news to people, that's what God has designed you for. No matter where you at are at or what you do with your life, that is the purpose. God wants to send you out. But he also, he wants your heart. He wants your heart first. Because your heart is what drives all that you do. And so if you're ever really going to live for him, if you're ever going to live as someone who has, has been sent into the world, it's, it's because God will have gotten a hold of your heart. Your affections rest first and foremost upon the person of Jesus. That he is what you live for. God wants your heart first and foremost. If, if you do the things that God wants you to do, without being the person that God wants you to be, if, if you're not doing it because it's birthed out of your heart for God, then your actions aren't gonna see any fruit. No, not lasting, real fruit. God's gotta have your heart. You've gotta do the right things, but for the right reason, with the right motivation and the right intention. God wants your heart. Because if, if God has your heart, then God will, God will use you. He wants to send you out, but he wants your heart first. And if he has your heart, then God will use you. God can do, I don't know if, if you need to hear this this morning, but God can use you. And he can do so much more through you than you could ever, ever think or imagine or dream up. Ephesians 3, 20. He can do abundantly, far exceedingly more, more than you or I could ever imagine or dream for ourselves. God can use you. God did so much more with Peter than I think he ever could have imagined. And he can do that with you too because it's not about your goodness and it's not about who you are. It's about the power of God through a willing vessel. God wants to use you if you will give your life to him, if you will step out in faith and obedience. God will use you. Don't let failure stop you. Maybe you've not been the perfect follower. Maybe you've wrestled with sin. Maybe you've struggled with whatever issue it is. Maybe you've been half-heartedly following Jesus. Maybe with your life, you've been kind of like Peter. You've, you've said you believe, but yet you've denied him in the way that you've lived your life. Man, don't let failure stop you. Because just like Jesus with Peter, he wants to restore you and he wants to redeem your life and he wants to take the wasted months and years and he wants to redeem them and he wants to use you for his glory for his purposes he wants to 
he wants to use your life. And so the bottom line today, the big idea for today is this. God saved you to send you. God didn't save us so that we would sit around and be happy as a clam and content until the day that we got to heaven. No, he saved us to send us. Send us out on mission to be a gospel witness, to share the good news of the resurrection that we celebrated last week. He wants to to use us. He wants to send us, but he wants to have our heart first. He came and he died and he rose again so so that he could give us gospel shoes so they could send us as messengers of his grace into our world. It starts in our home and in our neighborhood and our school and our workplace in our county. Man, to the ends of the earth, that is God's desire for us. He saved us to send us. And so my desire for you, my desire for our church, God's desire for us, forget my desire, God's desire for us is that we would live as sent people. That the resurrection, that that, that incredible event would lead to us going out into all the world, taking that good news of resurrection and life that, that, that good news of the resurrected King that we have celebrated these last few weeks, that we would take that good news into all the world, that we would make disciples of all nations. Will you join me in that? Could, could we as a people be that kind of a church? Absolutely. Yes and amen. I believe that is, is who God wants us to be. And because of his empowering presence and his empowering spirit with us, by the grace of God, that's who we will be. Amen. And so, Father God, this morning, I just want to say thank you for the resurrection that we have celebrated over these past few weeks. God, I pray that it, as it rocked and shook the world centuries ago, God, that it would continue to rock and shake our worlds and that it would, it would shake us up as a church, that it would motivate us, that it would inspire us to be the sent ones that you have called us to be. That in the power of your spirit, we could go and make disciples of, of, all, of all nations, starting right here at 1056 Highway 1 and throughout this county, God, every place that you send us, God, would you use us. Lord, I pray that you would bless us, that you would encourage us, that you would empower us to see every place that you send us this week in our school and in our, our jobs and in our homes and our lives. God, would you see, help us to see every place that you've sent us as a mission field, as a place where the harvest is, is, is ready. It's white, ready. God, would you use us? Would you send us out as laborers into the harvest? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.